You are now listening to the Bayshore Community Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God, connect to people, and to serve the community. Thank you for joining us today and wherever you are listening. We hope that this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you. Our prayer is that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. And today we're going to be uh, taking communion at the end of the service corporately, which is something we don't do often. But the reason we're doing that today is we are in chapter 11, chapter 11, verses 17 through 34. And this is one of the primary teachings uh, in the New Testament on communion. So we're going to be teaching about communion, understanding it, and then we're going to be able to practice it this morning. I want to say a hello to our Femic Island campus. Would you give our Femic Island campus a big hand? Thank you guys for watching us and being a part of today and also our online family. We love you guys dearly and we're so grateful for you. So let me read the text to you and then we'll dive into this. This is a really interesting uh, text on, on, on communion. Uh, maybe you grew up, you know, with, uh, it was called Eucharist for you. That is the word for Thanksgiving. It says in the text that, that uh, Jesus, when he uh, broke the bread, he gave thanks, and that is the word Eucharist, and that's why some traditions call it Eucharist. Some people call it uh, the breaking of the bread. Uh, I was raised Methodist, so it was called Holy Communion. So uh, we're going to look at this, and we're going to study this a little bit. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 through 34. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there has to be differences among you to show which of you has God's approval. When you come together, it is not the Lord's supper you eat, for as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. One remains hungry, another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat in and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? Certainly not. For I received from the Lord what I passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we judge ourselves, we would not come under judgment. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for each other. If anyone is hungry, he should eat at home so that, what, that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give further directions. Now, the first thing to understand about this is uh, to understand how the early church actually did communion. They did it a little differently than we do it and that we're actually going to do it today. And the early church, what they did is they had a meal together before they took of communion. Now, this meal was what is actually called in Jude chapter, Jude 
Jude just has one chapter. So Jude verse 12 is called a love feast. So that means that the early church, they like to eat and they like to get together. So they would have a meal together before they would take communion. And this meal would be, uh, would be open to all the church to come. And so they would take a meal together called the love feast or in the book of Acts, they broke bread together in their homes And they were very, very involved in having this meal together. And at the conclusion of the meal, they would have, uh, they would have communion together. So Paul is addressing what's happening in Corinth. Now in the church of Corinth, you have a, uh, a demographic spread of people. You've got some rich people, a few rich people, probably not many rich people. And you've got a lot of poor people and you've got some slaves So when you think about this meal that's going to take place, you've got rich people coming and you've got poor people coming and you've got slaves that are going to be coming as well. Now, here's the deal. It's important for us to remember that in the early church, they didn't have a church building like this. What what we have is this auditorium and the church buildings that you pass on the way to church. These things did not exist till about 300 years after the church was in existence. So they didn't have churches, they didn't have steeples, they didn't have stained glass windows. They met in the homes of rich people. So the rich people would have the biggest house. So when they had a a meal together, you know, they didn't come to Bayshore campus, they came to the, the richest person's house in the church and that person would have a big home. Now that home, had a division inside of it. There was a, a fine dining room. Here's a picture of what the Roman, a rich home would look like in the ancient world. And there's this thing called the triclinum. And that's the formal dining room. Do you see that? There's a formal dining room there. And that's where you would uh, have your fine china. That's where you would have your, your, your utensils and your, and your goblets there. And the rich people who didn't have to work very much, in fact, it wasn't considered to be dignified as a Roman citizen to work. You know, you kind of had your investments and so the rich people didn't really have to work that much and they got to the dinner early, the love feast early, and they would meet in that triclinum. And when the, the, the poor people came, the people that didn't have a lot of resources, that had to work until six o'clock or 6.30, they didn't even, some of those people didn't even have homes, the, the slaves didn't have homes or whatever, they would come and they would gather around uh, the, the atrium, which is, looks like a swimming pool there. They would gather there. So you've got the rich people here and you've got the poor people in the atrium. And the poor people, you know, they didn't have any food to bring with them. Now, the rich people, you know, in the triclinum in that nice little dining room, they're actually, uh, they got their surf and turf in there. They got the prime rib, they got the shrimp, they got the fine wine, and they're in there just having a good time, and they're eating, and they are just really wonderfully endowed with with resources. And the poor people are coming, and they come, and there's no food for them at the love feast. And actually, they're sitting there um, in the atrium while they, they can hear the rich people laughing and drinking and having a good time in the final and the formal dining room. And so basically what happens when they finally get around to communion, the poor people and their slaves, 
They're hungry. They've been working all day. They came right from the field, right to the, the place of worship. Because remember, in the early church, they didn't meet on Sunday mornings. It was a, they would actually, some of them would meet early on Sunday morning before they went to work. But Sunday was a work day. So they would work and then they would come after work. And so these poor people that didn't have any money, they loved Jesus. They loved the Lord with all their heart. The Lord had changed their life. And they would come right from work and they didn't have anything to eat. And Paul said, he said, there is something very, very wrong about this. It's very wrong that you're celebrating the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper or the communion, which represents Jesus giving his life for the world. The most selfless act in history was Jesus dying on a cross for humankind, laying down his rights, giving up his status in heaven, giving up his status in heaven and coming to earth and making himself poor and giving his life. There is a disconnect between communion and what you're actually doing. Because the people in the fine dining room are doing anything but being selfless. They're being selfish. And Paul comes down hard on them. He says, do you expect me do you expect me to give you praise, to give you encouragement, to give you a high five because you're taking communion? I will not do it because what you're doing is so fundamentally wrong. And here's the thing about Christianity. Christianity does not have a first class and a coach. Christianity does not have an upper class and a lower class. Christianity, when we come to the cross, it doesn't matter what our portfolio, it doesn't matter how rich we are, it doesn't matter how educated we are, it doesn't matter what our status is in society, it doesn't matter if we're the governor, the president, or a prime minister, when we come to the cross, we stand on the same ground that everybody stands on because there is no social class in the kingdom of heaven. And it happens today, you know, in our, in our world today, if you're successful, you go to an Episcopalian church. You know, Episcopalian church is for the white collar folks. Or you go to a high Presbyterian church. And if you're not quite as wealthy, maybe you go to a Baptist or a Methodist church. Someone said that a Methodist is someone that was an Episcopalian whose, whose investments didn't turn out very well. So in our culture, we have segmented the society and the church. And Paul said, to do that is not to discern the body of Christ. And God is very, very much upset about this. When Gandhi was uh, in India trying to win uh, freedom for the Indian people against British imperialism, back in the end of the 1800s and the early 1900s, when he was a college student, he was reading the Gospels. He was reading about Jesus and Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and his heart started to open toward the Gospels, even though he was a Hindu. And Gandhi thought, maybe this Jesus has a solution for the caste system in India. And so what he did was, he got up one morning and he put his robe on, he got dressed, and he went to a, a church in Calcutta. And when he went to the church, he was going to ask the minister how to be saved. 
how to find Jesus. And when he got to the door of the church, the deacon there said, you are not welcome in this place because you're not a high caste Indian, nor are you white. You should go worship with your own people. And Gandhi turned away and he said, why should I embrace Christianity? I'm just going to stay a Hindu. And Gandhi grew up saying after that, he said, I like Jesus, but I don't like Christians. And he said, I would become a Christian if it were not for the Christians. And so there was a really interesting part in his story there because there was this mentality in that church that God is more favorable toward people that are better off or of a certain race or certain social status. And I'm here to tell you that from this text, God is appalled by such an attitude because God wants all men to stand on level ground at the foot of the cross. And at Bayshore, one of the things that we're about, we're about that, you know, we're thank God for people that got money and we're thankful for people that are faithful to support our church. But let me tell you something, God loves everybody equally and there's nobody that has a higher standing at Bayshore than anybody else because we all belong to Jesus. Can you say a big amen? I was um, listening to N.T. Wright this week. N.T. Wright is one of my uh, heroes, someone I listened to. He was an Anglican bishop in, in uh, England, and N.T. Wright's probably the smartest scholar, conservative scholar in the world, I think. And so I listen to him every week. I don't understand everything, but I'm listening and absorbing what I can. And um, N.T. Wright was talking this week about he had a friend in Scotland that pastored a church, and he said where he lived in Scotland, this pastor, uh, there had been all these Middle Eastern people that had sought asylum in that part of Scotland. And uh, he said there were all of these asylum seekers in the city in Scotland that this guy pastored in, and he said they were just everywhere. The government had just sort of dumped them in that city. And he said one day, uh, this asylum seeker from the Middle East was walking down the street And as he's walking down the street, he sees all of these people go into a building. And he doesn't know what it is, but he just sort of follows them and he goes into that building. When he goes into the building, it's a church. And the church is completely full. And there's not a seat to be had. And this asylum seeker from the Middle East is standing at the back of the church and he's looking around and a deacon sees him Uh, standing there and the deacon stands up and waits for him to come over and he points at his seat and that asylum seeker comes over and he sits in his seat and that deacon sits on the floor beside this asylum seeker and the asylum seeker couldn't understand hardly any English. He didn't understand really what was going on but what impressed him was this, this officer of the church, the deacon, is sitting on the floor while he's sitting in the seat. And so this this young man kept coming, kept coming, and kept coming, and he opened his heart to receive Jesus and became a part of that church. You see, the kingdom of God is supposed to be uh, where we open our arms to everybody and there is no class or is no uh, different status. I was at, Karen and I were at a conference this summer. We were in uh, Huntsville, Alabama at this conference and 
the organization that I'm uh, ordained with, and uh, I've been a part of that organization for 40-some years. And so I go, not every year, but I go most years, and I'm with all these uh, people that I know and all these people that have ministries, sort of like my ministry, have a good church and all that. And, and uh, I used to be the president of the organization, so I know a lot of people. And, and you know, without sounding kind of you know, odd or weird, I'm sort of in the in crowd in that, in that organization. And I'm hanging out with this, uh, all my friends and all the people that have ministries like I have. And, and uh, for a couple days, I'm just having a good time. And Karen said to me, she said, you know, every year we come to this conference and we're just hanging out with our kind of people. And she said, there's this couple I see every year that they're at the conference and the wife is uh, disabled and the guy is there. They don't look like they have a lot of money or whatever. And, and so every year, she said, I look at them every year and I feel so bad that we're hanging out with our crowd and we're not really engaging with anybody else. So we made it a point on uh, one of the nights of the conference to find that couple at dinner and we sat down with them and I found out the guy had been an elder in the church, in his church for 27 years, never been paid a penny for his ministry. He worked a construction job. His wife had these uh, issues, these physical issues, and we talked for an hour or so, and I'm telling you, all of a sudden, I realized that this guy is more faithful to Jesus than I am. I mean, he's working 70 hours a week. He's still teaching the Bible like I do, and, and, and I'm telling you, he is just, he doesn't have the status of a minister that we call the status of a ministry. But let me tell you something, God does not see it that way. God sees anybody that serves Jesus and called by him to be a ministry in his family. Can you say a big amen? amen. So I want you to say this with me. God is, God is. not for class distinction. So when you read the, the story in the context of what's happening, then it begins to make sense. And uh, the Lord uh, Paul goes to what the Lord actually uh, did during communion, the first communion uh, at the Last Supper. Uh, Paul said, you know, here's what Jesus did. He took the bread, and remember, John tells us that he washed the feet of the disciples before that as a slave, as a servant. In the, in the uh, Middle East uh, homes in those days, there were the two lowest slaves. The lowest slave would take the sandals off of the, of the guest and the lowest slave would wash the feet of the guest. So Jesus at the Last Supper, John 13 says that he took himself as the lowest slave and he washed the feet of his disciples. And then he served them the bread, he broke the bread and he gave them the wine and he said, do this in remembrance of me. And what that means is, it's not simply that we reflect a little bit on the... Uh, you know, that we try to remember that the Last Supper and try to remember what happened on the cross. But it's more than that. When we remember, we actually participate. We are there in that event. We come to that moment where we're at the Last Supper with the disciples and we are seeing Jesus. We are a part of his family. We're actually standing at the cross with Jesus and, and, the other, and watching Jesus give his life for the sins of the world. So we participate. We don't simply reflect, but we identify and we are a part of that moment. That's what it means to remember. Uh, Karen, this week, she was doing some sewing and uh, she has a, she's a good seamstress and she was uh, 
fixing some pants that I have and she, she draws them in, takes them out, draws them in, takes them out, you know, so she uh, was fixing some things for me. And she got done and she came over to me and she had a, a spool of uh, gray thread. And she brought it to me and she said, smell this. And she handed it to me and I smelled it and immediately I knew what it was. It was, her, it was her mother's and it was her mother's house. I could smell the house. And not only could I smell the house, it took me back to a particular room in that house between the the living room and the, and the den, there was this little room where she kept a lot of her stuff and it smelled like that room. You know, smells can trigger memories. And when, when we take communion, we are taken back to a moment in time where we're with the disciples at the table, where we're with the people, uh, those early apostles of Jesus, and we're there and we're there at the cross and we're seeing Jesus Give his life for our sins. Paul said to the Galatians, he said, before your very eyes, Christ was crucified. They could see Jesus being crucified. When's the last time you really opened your heart and opened your mind and opened your spirit so you could see what Jesus did for you? And that's what communion is. It's, it's going to that place and time where we're celebrating and we're seeing the most selfless act in history and we're seeing his love and his mercy being poured out for us. So when we take communion this morning together, this is in, in your hectic week, your crazy week, it's a moment in time where you're gonna be transported to the cross and you're gonna see Jesus crucified for you. Then there's this scary passage that says, don't take of it unworthily. Uh, I grew up hearing that, scared me to death when I heard it. It's like, oh my goodness, I'm not sure I... I'm worthy to take communion, uh, and I was—I remember, you know, that the preacher would read it, and I'm thinking, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure I'm not worthy this week. How I've been living, you know, I never go to the long neck car wash where I get my car wash. I never ask them, is my car too dirty to go through the car wash today? I never ask them that. The very fact that my truck is dirty is the reason that I need to go through the car wash. And the very fact that you feel con conviction from your sin, the very fact that you feel a sense of uh, maybe appropriate guilt for something you did wrong, the very fact that you feel that means that you need to come to the table and partake of that and receive the forgiveness of the Lord and that's why it says you should examine yourself before you take communion. What does that mean? You know, it's, it's got to be understood in the context of the story. It doesn't mean you examine yourself and you think, you know, I've been a, a, just a terrible sinner this week. It's not that. It's that you examine yourself to see if there's anybody in your world, like in, that, in their world, that they had not discerned the body of Jesus. What does it mean to not discern the body of Jesus? It could mean, you know, some people say to not really think about Jesus' body when you're taking communion. But what it means really in this story, in this text, is that they had not discerned those poor people living in the atrium eating, with, didn't have any food. That they had hurt those people. That they didn't have a right relationship with those people. That they had, they, had, they had somehow, with their words and their actions and their indifference toward them, they had wounded those people. 
So before you take communion, what you need to do is you need to say, Lord, have I wounded anybody? Have I hurt anybody? Have I been unkind to anybody? You should never come to the Lord's table when you got any kind of anger in your heart toward anybody. If you got unforgiveness in your heart toward your employer or your ex or, you know, the person you work with, if you've got unforgiveness in your heart toward a, a grown sibling or someone in your family, you've got to get that right because you've got to discern the Lord's body. You cannot hate anybody that Jesus died for when you take communion because communion is about Jesus dying for sinners and we need to forgive sinners because Jesus came to forgive sinners because of his work on the cross. This week, Karen mentioned a name, just in conversation. She said somebody's name, and as soon as she said their name, there was a little needle that went off in my heart. And all of a sudden, I realized there's somebody I need to forgive because that person had hurt me a number of years ago. When she said their name, that little needle went off. And I knew immediately, I knew immediately, I gotta, I gotta deal with that. There's something wrong. So I went to the Lord with prayer, Lord, such and such, you know, and ah, uh, man, I just, I just, I was, I was wounded by them and I have, there's a residue of anger in my heart toward them. So when I get ready to take communion, I gotta make sure that I've examined myself, that I haven't treated those, anybody like those Corinthians had treated them in the atrium and treated those people unfairly and the people in the atrium that had been hurt by the rich people they had to forgive the rich people and the rich people had to confess their sin for not treating the, the poor people right so it's all about horizontal issues you got to deal with your unforgiveness toward any other human being on this planet when you have been wronged and i i, I know you you can tell me your story we all have a story of how bad it was and how bad they hurt us and how what they did. And we all have a story and I know those stories. We should listen to each other and we should draw to near to each other and, and process with each other. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what your story is. You need to forgive that person that wounded you before you come to the table because coming to the table, you have to examine your heart toward how you've treated other people. It's a very, very important thing that you need to do. Whenever you travel, you know, um, Karen and I, when we fly somewhere, we always fly out of Salisbury because we hate to drive to Philadelphia and we hate their parking situation and we hate to drive to BWI, so we fly out of Salisbury. And we usually fly down to, you know, Charlotte and, uh, you know, they crop dust a few fields on the way down there and we, we get down there. But when you go through uh, the airport, you got to go through the TSA, the Transfer, Transportation Security Administration. And you go through there, and of course, you're, you're pretty much buck naked when you finally get through there, you know? <laughs> take your clothes off, everything. You're just like, and you, and you gotta take everything out of your pocket. You gotta take your keys. You gotta take your, you know, you know your watch off. You gotta, you know, you gotta take your shoes off. You gotta get rid of everything before you go through that little arch thing where you stand up and they do the little thing around you. And before you take communion, you have to get rid of everything. You have to get rid of your anger. You have to get rid of your hate. You have to get rid of your bitterness. It says in Ephesians and Colossians, Ephesians and Colossians mirror each other pretty much in what they, practical parts of living for Jesus. Get rid of all bitterness. Get rid of it. 
Get rid of all anger. It's, it's forceful. The language is forceful in the Greek. Get rid of it. And I think it's, uh, I forgot the name of the motivational speaker guy. He said, I can never fly. Zig Ziglar. Ziglar, Zig Ziglar said, you can never fly as high as you're meant to fly with unforgiveness in your heart. You can never fly as high as you're meant to fly with unforgiveness in your heart. You see, my, my ministry, you know what, serving you guys, and it's been the greatest privilege of my life, and I love it, serving you guys every week. And I get to preach, I get to teach, and I go, I've been this, doing this 40 years now, so been doing it a long time. I love it. And you know, it's, it's really, really, in God's economy, it's not really what I'm doing right now that what it's all about. This is not really, really what it's all about from God's perspective. What it's about is God has let me walk through some painful things. God has let me walk through some rejections. God has let me walk through some painful things that have been said and done. And the Lord has taught me and is teaching me how to forgive, how to forgive. Because my dad's that way. My dad's a forgiver. And I, and I listen to him. I, I want to learn how to forgive because it says, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts. Let me ask you a question. How many have needed your debts to be forgiven, your transgressions to be forgiven? <laughs> I'm telling you, the rest of my life, I have to ask Jesus to forgive me for stuff. Forgive us our debts. That, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven the debts of others. I pray that every day. Last thing I pray every day before I go to sleep. The last thing I do before I turn the TV off. The last thing I do before I love Raymond gets turned off. The last thing I do is I say, Lord, I say the Lord's prayer and I cleanse my heart of unforgiveness so that I can walk with purity before the Lord. And those Corinthians, the reason they were under judgment, and this is such an interesting thing. It says that some of them were sick and weak and some had gone asleep, which is a euphemism for died. They were dead. And, and what does that mean exactly? Well, it probably means a number of things. It, we should take note of that. It's very, very serious in the eyes of the Lord to mistreat a person that's helpless like they were doing. To mistreat those poor slaves. It's a very serious thing to do. But here's the other thing. I think it means that when we take communion, that there is the spirit of the Lord there to heal us. And we're going through COVID right now. We're going through everything that's happening and people need healing. And I think that we've always said that people don't get healed because we don't have enough faith for people to get healed. That people are sick and we pray for them. They don't get healed because we don't have enough faith. I wonder if it's maybe something completely different. That people don't get healed because there's residue of anger and bitterness in their heart. And that is rotting their bones the way Proverbs says that, that envy in a man's heart will rot his bones. And I wonder if we stop the healing power of Jesus because we have unforgiveness in our heart. And it says this. It says... 
Is any sick among you, let him call the elders of the church and let them anoint them with oil and the prayer of the faith, prayer of faith will heal the sick. And then what does it say very next? Confess your faults one to another that you may be healed. So if there is a unity restored through forgiveness, healing occurs. So I don't know about you, you know, I'm, I'm like, I want to live a long time. Raise your hand if you want to live a long time. I'm ready for Jesus to come, and I, whenever he comes, I'm all about that, and I'm ready to die, but I don't want to be on that next load. I want to stay a while. How many want to stay a while? Just raise your hand. You want to stay a while. And I think we need to understand that there's a correlation between our anger and our unforgiveness, and our bitterness, and our health. I get my cholesterol checked, and I get my, uh, you know, blood pressure checked, and I go to the doctor regularly. I want to be looking good and staying healthy, but let me tell you something. I need to keep my heart healthy, not my physical heart. I got a cardiologist for that, but my spiritual heart. He says, that is why some of you are sick and weak and some of you died. Maybe they had blocked the healing power of Jesus during their services. Then when you take communion, in fact, when we take communion today and we get ready to receive communion together, I'm praying as the, as the band comes, I'm not ready for them quite yet, but when the band comes and they're playing music and you're confessing your sins and you're forgiving your enemies that the healing power of Jesus may it flow into this place and may people receive healing this morning and the last thing is is you take communion uh, it says in in this first Corinthians 11 uh, you do proclaim the Lord's death Communion is actually a sermon when you see the bread being broken. It's an illustrated sermon. The body of Jesus was broken and the blood was poured out for our sins. He said, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we are, when we take communion, we're standing on this side of the coming of Jesus and we are proclaiming his death until he comes and we're looking forward to his coming because it says in all the gospel texts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, where the communion is described, he said, Jesus said, I will not eat of this again until the kingdom of God is restored. So when we're taking communion, we are looking forward to the coming of Jesus, that Jesus will come again. And we know from the book of Acts that he said to those, the, the angel said to the apostles, this same Jesus, that Jesus was ascending to heaven, the apostle said, uh, the angel said to the apostles, uh, this same Jesus that you've seen going up will come back in the same way you saw him go. In other words, Jesus is physically going to come back again. First Thessalonians chapter 4. And in fact, uh, here's what David Jeremiah says. David Jeremiah says, that there's 1,845 verses in the Bible about the second coming of Jesus. Seven out of every 10 chapters in the New Testament mentions the second coming of Jesus. So Jesus is coming again. And when I read Revelation chapter 20, he's coming back on a white horse and the armies are with him. On one of those horses is my mother. He's bringing back with those. First Thessalonians chapter four says those that have died before us they're coming back and he's got a sword in his mouth and he's got a, 
an iron scepter which, with, with which to rule the nations. This world is chaotic. As I watched Afghanistan this week and I watched everything that you watched and my heart broke as those people are trying to get on this airplane and the people that are filled with fear in Afghanistan, our hearts break as we see that, but it shows you how competent human rulers are Human rulers are, make mistakes. Prime ministers make mistakes. There is incompetency in all government leadership. And there is one day that the king of king and lord of lords is coming back and he will never make a mistake. He'll rule the nations with an iron rod. He'll rule it with justice. Until he comes, we will see chaos on this planet. Jesus said until he, there'll be wars and rumors of wars, but when he comes, he will bring peace on this planet. Can you say big Amen. I'm not surprised when leaders make mistakes. You know, we're all leaders. You know, every leader, every political leader, every spiritual leader, we all make mistakes. But I'm telling you, you got to own them when you make them. I'm telling you that. You got to own them. But what we need to know is every time we're disappointed with something that happens, every time we're disappointed, every time we're, we're upset, we should be reminded of the fact that there's coming one one day that will rule with justice. There'll be no injustice. There'll be no poverty. There'll be no, uh, you know, embellishment of funds. There'll be no mistreatment of people that are defenseless. Jesus will bring uh, justice on this planet and that every tribe, every nation, every race will stand arm in arm under the lordship of Jesus and he'll bring peace and security to this planet. And it's only when he comes that we're going to have the joy that we all long for. Can you say a big amen? And as we begin to get ready to take communion, we do proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Say it with me. We proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. One more time. We proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, we're going to get ready to take communion. The band's going to come. And here's, we got some work to do first. Just lift your hands. Examine yourself. You can leave free today. Doesn't matter what they did, don't matter what they said, don't matter how unjust it was, there's injustice. Not denying you're, that you were treated unjustly, but you gotta deal with it. You gotta examine your heart because you can't fly as high as you're meant to fly with that in your heart. You can't receive the healing of Jesus. You can't receive the power of Jesus in your life without getting that junk out of your heart. And I feel like today the Lord during this communion, there's going to be healing. There's going to be people that are sick. You're going to be made better. You're going to be healed because of the power of God is present at the Lord's table. The power of Jesus to heal the sick is present. Now, Father, we repent of our sins. We repent of the people that we've hurt, the things we've said, the, the callousness of our own heart that we don't even care that we hurt their feelings. We don't even care that we were insensitive to them. Forgive us, Lord, of those sins. We repent of those things. It's not honoring of you for us to hurt people you died for. So God, help us. We repent. And now, Lord, all that hurt and all that pain, 
and all that anger and all that bitterness and all that sorrow that's in our heart that's been holding us down. We confess it and we give it to you and take it out of us and let it be replaced today with the peace and the healing of the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you so much for joining us on the Bayshore Podcast. I want to encourage you to take this message you just received and allow it to go deep into your soul and let Jesus do the deep work that only He can do. A special thanks to everyone that gives generously to Bayshore. It's because of you that this ministry is possible, creating life change all over the world. You can be a part of spreading the message around the world by going to bayshore.online and clicking give. For all things Bayshore, visit bayshore.online to find out what your next step may be. You can subscribe right here and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thank you again for listening. God bless you.